Philippians chapter 4. The king of love, my shepherd, is his goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Paul speaking here, not that I speak in respect of want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content, satisfied with pleasure. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. To speak of contentment in a time when this present world around us seems to be in utter chaos and confusion, when hatred and wars are raging on almost every continent, where we have famines and hunger and desperation and wickedness abounds everywhere, when even the church of God is suffering under so much persecution and suffering, and sadly to say even divisions, makes it seem impossible for one to speak, let alone possess, any kind of contentment. We live in a world which knows no such virtue. Men are not content. They have an insatiable hunger for any and everything which never satisfies them. Yet Paul says, as a Christian, he learned that whatsoever state he was in, therewith to be content. The Apostle Paul, even himself, was facing fierce persecution when he wrote this epistle to the Philippians. He was imprisoned, facing even possible martyrdom when he wrote these words. Yet he declared that he found contentment. And he states it was a great mystery which only God himself could teach him. I am instructed, verse 13, that word, verse 12, that word means mystery. It's a great mystery, Paul said, to be content. The Christian life is an amazing life. It's an amazing life. When the Bible says we're strangers and pilgrims on the earth, it doesn't merely mean that we're on our way to heaven. It means we are totally different from the things of the world. Our desires, our longings, our life, what gives us peace and contentment, what gives us joy, 
is nothing the world knows anything of. It's found in Christ and in Christ alone. Not that I speak in respect of want. Paul's saying, I don't want anything. I'm not saying I want anything. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith, in whatever state that might be, be it hungry or full, be it abounding or abased, whatever state that might be, he said, I have learned by God to be content, to be satisfied and at peace at that state therein I am in. Contentment. True and lasting contentment. That sense or feeling of satisfaction and pleasure of both the heart and the mind. Of one's present possessions, whether he be full or hungry. His status in life abased or abounding, and situation in life, imprisoned or free, is a very rare jewel amongst both men and angels. Content. Even in the garden, surrounded by perfection and sinlessness, it was man's discontentment in being denied the tree of knowledge that Satan tempted man whereby he fell. God said you can have every tree in the garden except this one. Man eyed that tree of knowledge and Satan came up and said, wouldn't you like to be like God? Man was discontent. He wanted more. Even in his perfect state, he knew not what contentment was. Are you beginning to understand why it must be God who teaches us this? Because even man at his best estate knows nothing of contentment. He's still discontent. Even the angels in heaven who were created in perfect holiness and righteousness, who dwelt before the throne of God, beholding His glorious presence, Jude says, kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. Discontent with being in the presence of God. Even the angels wanted more. I'm telling you there is a mystery to this contentment of which Paul speaks. The world will never know anything of. Never without God. God must teach us that spirit, that state of contentment. The mystery of true contentment of which the Apostle Paul speaks in our text has eluded both the highest angels in heaven and man at his best state. And unless it is learned and instructed by God Himself, this great mystery will continue to elude countless believers. It's a mystery. Thomas Watson, the old Puritan preacher, wrote a book on this contentment. He called it the art. The art of divine contentment. Art meaning a skill required by experience. We'll look at that in a few minutes. That's how Paul learned it. You don't learn it once or twice. You learn it uh, 
multitude of ways in various situations and circumstances. Sometimes you have to learn to want to find out what true contentment is. It's a lesson you're taught by God. Jeremiah Burroughs sought to write a book on this. He called it a rare jewel. Not because God would hide it from men, but because man would seek great things for himself, Jeremiah said, and not the things that be of God. For those things, dearly beloved, which belong, which bring lasting joy and peace and comfort and contentment, listen to me, cannot be taught or learned in the schools of men, but only by God. You know, we live in a day and age where there's so many professing believers who are superficial in their faith and know nothing of true joy, new peace and comfort and contentment. It's all in what they possess, all in what they have. It's all in what they feel in the moment. It's superficial. To be, but be content when you're facing a situation in life that is most uncomfortable to the flesh, most unpleasant to the carnal mind, to say I'm content whatever God has sovereignly and providentially ordained for my life, that is a lesson only God can teach. And it's a glorious lesson. Those things which bring true happiness and blessings are not what men values and esteems, but what God does. This is the heart and mind God works in His children by grace. It's not what we value and esteem to be happiness and joy and comfort, but what God esteems to be joy and happiness and comfort. You know, a child of God throughout his whole life and everything that God's teaching him, he's teaching him to find everything in Christ, nothing in himself. Not in his circumstances, not in his situations, not in what he possesses, but he's, he teaches us to find everything we need in Christ, to be content and satisfied with just Christ. Most people seek Christ only for the temporal benefits. You seek not the meat unto everlasting life, Christ said to the multitude, but you seek it because you ate it and you were hungry. You were satisfied in the flesh. You were satisfied temporally. And so therefore you're seeking me. Many people, even this very day, in many churches around the world are seeking Christ merely for temporal blessings, but not for Christ himself. This is why Paul said he had to learn it. And he's continually being instructed in it. You know what the Bible calls a blessed man? And that word blessed means to be envied for your happiness. You know what the Bible calls a blessed man? The poor in spirit. Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed 
the poor in spirit, they that mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those persecuted for righteousness sake, those who are reviled, persecuted, and evilly and falsely spoken of for Christ's sake. The Bible says those are blessed people. The world looks at that and says, you're, you're insane. God says, no, that's, that's be envied for your happiness. That's why we're strangers and pilgrims. Not because we're traveling to another country purely, but because we are ex people that have been called out of the world and are no more of the world. Those things which make Christians happy and joyful and peaceful are the things the world denies and rejects. These virtues are which bring lasting happiness and unwavering hope and comfort. These are divine lessons we must seek to humbly learn. If we are to be blessed in this present life and comforted in its closing days before glory, you know what I've come to find out in over 40 years as being a Christian and working so many years in a nursing home and being acquainted with so many people dying and leaving this present life. I'm telling you, how a person dies shows how he lives. And someone can speak well of Christ while they're living. Watch them while they're dying. It shows how they lived. And a child of God, because he's lived his life for Christ and in Christ and through Christ, when death approaches, all these things are brought about. This blessedness, this peace, this joy, this comfort, this contentment. It's seen when he faces the great and last enemy of mankind, which is death. He, you see that evident in their life. I'm telling you, dearly beloved, we must learn these things while we live. So that when death does arrive, we can, with comfort and confidence and hope and peace and joy, with Paul, say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's far better to depart and be with Christ. I've finished my course. I've fought the good fight. There's a crown that waiteth for me, and not only for me, but for all those who love Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, we must learn to die well by living in Christ. It's amazing truth. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Though it's a great mystery to the true believer, one which God takes great delight in teaching and instructing them in, it is foreign and alien to the sinner. Think about that. If it's a great mystery to the believer, it's completely foreign and alien to a sinner. One who seeks contentment his entire life. You know, the world, you know that's what people do. You know that's what everybody's doing. They're seeking contentment his entire life. He exhorts all his efforts and strength to obtain some sort of contentment. 
That's why a lot of people, they joy and rejoice in Christianity as long as the music's playing and everything feels good. But when trials and tribulations come, they seem to fall apart. Why? Because they only have a superficial understanding of Christ. True contentment is not that my circumstances are good. It's true contentment is seen when my circumstances are everything but good, but I'm still in my heart and my mind content. The sinner finds an ever-increasing abyss of insatiable and unquenchable want. They want all the time. The psalmist, Psalm 23, says, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. That's why I shall not want. Paul said, I speak not in respect of want. But a sinner wants all the time. But he's never filled. He's never satisfied. Let me tell you something. Before I came to truly know Christ, I mean, at 14, I thought I was converted. Somebody said, say this prayer. They were singing Kumbaya. I had a tear. I said a prayer. And everybody said, you're saved. Nothing changed in my life. Nothing changed in my life. But everybody's telling me I was saved. But something in my heart, something in my heart would not rest. And no matter how often people tried to convince me that because I said a prayer, I'm okay, they couldn't quiet the unrest in my heart. I still had that unrest in my heart. Why? Because I did not truly have Christ. Because as a true believer, you might not have learned contentment to a greater degree, but you're going to have a sense of contentment alone in Christ. It will grow with degrees as we'll learn. Paul learned it. It wasn't just after one case or one example or one situation. Paul had to go through many, just like you and I, to learn the secret, the mystery of contentment. But if you're saved this morning, you have at least contentment that everything's right between you and God. I didn't have that. I loved the same things I loved before. I desired the same things I loved before, desired before. Nothing changed. Why? Because I didn't know Christ. Man gives every effort. He lives his entire life seeking to fulfill the contentment. He can never fill it. It keeps getting greater and greater. That discontentment keeps getting greater and greater, and he finds no satisfaction. And let me explain to you why from Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 8 says, All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Proverbs 27, verse 20 says, Hell and destruction are never full. That is an amazing sermon right there. Hell and destruction are never full. So, look what he compares heaven and hell not being full with. So the eyes of man are never, never satisfied. They're never satisfied. A sinner's never satisfied. It amazes to me to see how foolish sinful man is when it comes to trying to satisfy his lust and his contentment or discontentment. It's at the uh, gas station in Bangs one day, and I think I've mentioned this before, but I was getting gas, and when I came out, there was a lady that came in the store. And you could tell that she was poor, had very little had very little. You could tell that she was in a sad situation. And she gave 
<clears throat> the little bit of money she had for a lottery ticket. Went outside the door and sat down, and you could see, I mean, she was even shaking a little bit. It was a little cool day during the wintertime, and she's rubbing that lottery ticket. Why? In hopes that she might get to make money. You drive by now the gas station, you see sign up there for lottery tickets. $900 million lottery, $1 billion lottery. People are insane. They think that's going to satisfy them. That's not going to satisfy them. People always think it would, I would be much more content if I just had this or I just had that or I just had this. And they're always looking for that, but they're never satisfied because they don't have Christ. A believer learns by God's grace to be content in whatsoever state he finds himself. That's a mystery. The world looks at that and says, you're crazy. No, I'm satisfied. I'm content. Ecclesiastes 6-7 says, all the labor of man is for his mouth. And yet the appetite is not filled. The soul is not filled. All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. <sighs> Sinful man puts forth all his labor for a meat that perisheth. For no sooner does he think he is content than circumstances, situations, sickness, sorrow, even death itself swishes it away. There's nothing lasting. There's no lasting contentment in this world without Christ. And even Paul declares here, even the Christian must learn this contentment. That's how great it is. I believe I, I can say this for everyone. Everyone in this room, whether you're saved or not, has in your life at one time or another felt at least to a degree, contentment. Content. I'm satisfied. I'm happy with my present situation. But that can change so fast in this world, can it not? One quick telephone call. There's been trouble. There's been an accident. One quick doctor's visit. I'm sorry to tell you, but you have a problem. You have a sickness. It can change so fast. But Paul said that God teaches His children to be content in whatsoever state they find themselves. That is an amazing statement if you think about it. Paul says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. I have learned. I cannot teach you how God intends to teach you. Because Paul doesn't tell us how he learned it. He just said, I learned it. He didn't tell us in verse 12 how he was instructed. He said, but he was instructed. I can't teach you or tell you how God is going to teach each and every one of us this mystery of contentment, but I can tell you the lessons learned by contentment 
First of all, it wasn't the state he was in. Listen closely. Because this is the Christian life. It's not merely waiting for some spiritual thing to happen and suddenly I'm taken up to the third heaven and I feel so... No, Christian life is also, like Paul says, you have to learn some things. You have to be instructed in some things. So you have to listen. You have to study. Amen? That's what Christian life is about. That's part of the Christian life. Get in the Word of God and study it. Problem with most people today, they're not studying the Word of God. They're studying what somebody else is telling them. Study the Word of God. Let God teach you. It wasn't the state he was in, nor his being full or hungry, verse 12, nor his abounding and suffering need, which determined his being content. He doesn't say those things influenced his contentment. This is sinful man's demise. His circumstances dictate to him his contentment. But for the believer, they don't. Listen to me. But Paul says, in all these things, I have learned in whatsoever state. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. In all these things, he was taught and instructed in the mystery of contentment. They didn't dictate to him his measure of contentment, but he said, by them I learned. Are you listening? By them I learned contentment. You want to learn contentment? Learn to want. Learn to be abased. Learn to abound. Learn to suffer need. We all want greater faith, right? I do as a Christian. I'm sure you do too. How do we get greater faith? How does our faith increase? The trying of your faith. Work with patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be entire, wanting nothing. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth upbraidly, who giveth freely, abundantly, and upbraideth not. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. James, how do our faith grow? By trials. So Paul says, these things didn't dictate to me my level of contentment, but God used them to teach me. He used them to teach me contentment. And I hope and pray that you're following this sermon and in your mind going along with it and maybe reflecting in your own Christian life in the past how God puts you providentially in certain circumstances in life that was wanting, abasing, abounding, suffering need, and God was teaching you. Don't let these things dictate to you what your contentment is. These things shouldn't dictate to you. They should be teaching you to be content that whatever I put you in, you're satisfied. And you're happy. Not just satisfied, but you're happy. Again, the world says you Christians are strange. Isn't that why Paul said this natural man understandeth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. They're foolish. You tell the world this and they're going, you're crazy. That's not the kind of Christianity I want. I want the one that's always upbeat and always on the, always thriving. I want one that's always happy and joyful. Let me tell you something. Sometimes the Christian life isn't always happy and joyful, is it? Sometimes you learn your greatest lessons when it's not. And what does God, why does God do that? He doesn't do that to harm us. He doesn't do that to destroy us. He does that to teach us to find everything we need in Christ, in God, not in our circumstances, not in our situation, not in our trials and our troubles, but in God. We must learn to find everything in God. That's the only contentment we can have, finding it in God. 
And we have to be taught that. We don't learn that. It doesn't come to us supernaturally like a lightning bolt out of heaven. We have to be taught that as Christians. That's why the church, it's so important that the church instruct God's people. This is one of the greatest problems of the church today. And one of the perils we'll be in speaking about in the upcoming weeks, the church has neglected their responsibility. The pulpit is not teaching the children of God the word of God. They're teaching them their ways and not the word of God. In all these things. They didn't determine or control. They didn't threaten or destroy his being content. But by God's infinite wisdom and grace, God made them instruments and lessons to instruct him in contentment. You know, one of the things that's I've learned over the years, and I, I didn't always know that. I'm still learning that, like many things I'm still being instructed in, is I loved when I became saved and the Lord started showing me the doctrines of grace. I started learning about the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, the wisdom of God, the holiness of God, the mercy of God, all these attributes of God. I was amazed by them. I was astonished by it. But you know what made them more precious to me? is when God began revealing to me that I need to apply all those attributes in everything God's doing in my life. And when I think about God's infinite wisdom, that he knows everything perfectly, he knows it perfectly. He's all knowledgeable. He's all wise. He knows everything. And then he takes his sovereignty and he can control everything. And providence, how he controls all circumstance. He puts all that together. He says, through all this, I'm going to teach you contentment. Because I'm an all-wise God. I know what you need. I'm powerful enough to bring about that situation. And my providence will make sure that it fits your every need. And I'm going, that is amazing. That is God. People don't do that. I think I was like five years old in the Lord before I even heard the word sovereignty of God. Nobody ever spoke on it. And I thought, and once God begins showing it, so why isn't people speaking of this? Why am I not hearing of the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, the mercy of God, the holiness of God? Why am I not hearing these things? This is part of the process of learning, Paul speaks about. You learn, hey, if God is merciful and great and kind. We apply all that to every aspect of our life. Why do we hate sin? Well, we hate sin because sin is what caused suffering for, for our Lord. It was my sins, but we also hate sin because God is holy. And His holiness gives me that hatred for sin. And when I sin and I do fall and I do make mistakes, what is it that draws me to Christ? It's His mercy. His mercy is grace because He's a merciful God. And so it is with learning contentment. It's not just learning the situation we're in, but using everything God has taught us and is teaching us about himself, about himself. To conquer those situations that are abasing and abounding or full or hungry or suffering. God's infinite wisdom and grace, he makes these things instruments and lessons to instruct us in contentment. He said, I learned in whatsoever state I am. In all these things I'm instructed. You see how Paul looked at these things and said, no, they can't harm me. Abounding, abasing, suffering need. They can't hurt me. 
in whatsoever state. That can't hurt me. Circumstances and situations life cannot hurt me, but they're all lessons. God changes them into lessons and instructions for me. That's what we need to remember. Because I'm getting ahead of myself maybe, but what Paul says by learning, what he what he's meaning is in every situation is he brings his mind and his heart to be able to meet that situation with contentment. He can only do that with God. So the believer looks at all these things in life and going, you know what? The world looks at this and said, this is going to destroy me. And I say, it's going to make me a better Christian for God. It's going to show me something about myself and God that's going to draw me closer to Christ. No weapon formed against thee shall prosper. How do you think Paul said all things work out for the, uh, work for the good to them that love God? All things work together for good. We have to do more than merely memorize these verses. Memorizing their verses is not enough to receive of their comforts. You can memorize that and quote that all day long, but if it's not taught by God, you're never going to be able to say all things work together for good and receive its comfort. As our light afflictions, Paul said, and I like how he said light afflictions, which is but for a moment, 2 Corinthians 4, work for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. They work for us as our light afflictions, which are for a moment work for us. So do all these various circumstances of life. They work for you. They work for you. They work for you, for us. And while it is in, Paul said in Romans 8, tribulations, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword were made more than conquerors through him, through Christ, that loved us, these things make us more than conquerors. You see, a true child of God does not run away or flee from tribulations, distress, persecutions. He doesn't flee from any circumstance in life. He faces it head on and he says, no, if God isn't providentially, sovereignly intended for me to take this, to bear this cross, to go through this, he will teach me a lesson of contentment that the world knows nothing of. And the world will look at you and say, you're amazing. At least your God is. That is the blessing of knowing that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. So too, whatever state we are in, be it abased or abounding, full or hungry, abounding or suffering need, beloved, such things are ordained by God to teach and instruct our hearts and our minds in this divine mystery of contentment. They're all lessons. I encourage you, look at every circumstance and situation of life, both bad and good, comfortable and uncomfortable, pleasant and unpleasant, as a lesson from your God to teach you and I contentment. Because as we'll see in a few minutes when I close, too few Christians understand the importance of contentment in this life. Too few Christians, you, you got to get this. You, you really got to get this. Like I said, it's not merely memorizing. May God teach us. I have learned. I am instructed. And again, like I said, it's not. These words teach, uh, tell us, I have learned. I am instructed. I've learned, but I'm continuing to be instructed, as we heard last week. It's not after one lesson or two or three, but by the learning of many. 
The divine instructions are not temporary or limited, but they're ever continuing. Leading the true believer to know and be assured in his heart, verse 13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. That's what they all lead to. We're constantly learning this mystery of contentment. You never, you never graduate from this class until you depart from this life. And let me tell you something. When you begin to graduate, and that is going to the next life, I'm telling you, listen to me very carefully. I'm talking from what I've seen with my own eyes in my lifetime, but also living and working in a nursing home where I'm seeing death all the time. When it comes time to part out of this life, this contentment is what's going to bear you over because you learn how to be content in every circumstance in life. When you face that last enemy, you're going to be content and you're going to embrace that with confidence and hope and satisfaction and joy. And I'm telling you, I'm seeing a lot of things in older Christians that's facing death that makes me wonder if I'm going to be able to meet that as well. We should be able to, don't you think? I think as a Christian, we should be able to approach and meet death with confidence and with assurance and with hope. Not with fear and anxiety. And I know those things sometimes can overwhelm us because death is a huge thing. I'm not, we preached on this a few weeks ago. It's, it's not an easy thing. It's a very frightful thing. You see people lying there in the bed and barely alive and their eyes closed and they're gasping for air, can hardly breathe. Their bodies become nothing but a skeleton. And you wonder that they're even still alive. It's not a pretty thing. Beloved, let us learn why we live these divine instructions God gives us so that when it comes time to depart out of this life, we can depart out of it with joy and happiness and comfort and hope and great expectation. Let me close this with one point in our text that I think is very important for us to understand. Paul says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content, though the contentment <clears throat> of which Paul speaks surely implies every situation and circumstance in life. We've been discussing that for two weeks. Yet in the context, if we stick true to the context, Paul is referring directly to a contentment concerning the cares and providential needs of this present life. Listen to the following words after 11. Listen, verse 12 down to 20. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. But even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessities. Talking about providential needs in life. Okay, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that you may be abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Ephoritius the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need. didn't say needs. 
as need, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The context is Paul says he's talking about contentment and providential needs, our daily cares. Paul said be content. Be content. There's a need for divine contentment in our daily needs and cares for this present life. And that's more important than most believers actually understand. Contentment in your daily needs. Seems the world is always wanting more. They're never satisfied. Give me more money, more food. Paul in the text is saying, I'm, 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 I'm content. I'm content. First Timothy 6, 6 to 8. Listen to these words. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us there be therein content. Content with what you have. Let your conversation, Hebrews 13, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Beloved, to desire more than we need sets our affections on the things of the earth and blinds our hearts and our minds to the things in heaven and of God. You know that? Be content with such things as you have. Well, preacher, I am, but boy, if I could win that lottery and just pay my bills off. How many times have I heard that? And then I've heard also Christians who unfortunately play the lottery. Are you against that? I, it's gambling. I'm against it, yes. Um, and they say, well, don't worry. I'll give 10% to the Lord. Yeah, well, the Lord don't need the 10%. Give it all to the Lord. It's all His anyway. If I just had a little bit more money, I'd be a little bit more content. I'd be happy. I don't need a whole lot. No, preacher, I only need... No, why aren't you content with what you have now? The prodigal son is the greatest example. Remember that? Boy, he lived in the father's house, had everything he had, had everything he needed, and then he said, oh, I'll give what belongs to me. And he went out and he spent it wildly. Uh, he began to be in want. You see, he began to be in want. Not need. He wanted. He realized that in his father's house, he had it so good. So he came to himself. He arose and went to his father. Unfortunately, there are many professing believers that never do that. And on their deathbed, they're struggling with fear and doubt. I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm not saying that uh, God hasn't redeemed them. But I'm telling you, dearly beloved, I'm telling you from experience and from what I've seen, you can be a Christian and I'm telling you full of doubt and fear and it will torment you because you're not learning the lesson of contentment with God. Learn it while you're young. Learn now to be content with such things as you have. Then whatever life throws at you, and I mean that providentially by God's grace, you'll say, I'm content in whatsoever state I am. 
Seekest thou great things for thyself? Jeremiah said, seek them not. Be content. Let me close with a verse of Scripture from Matthew 6. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. If God gives you riches, if God gives you more, if God gives you abundance, praise the Lord for that. But if he taketh away, still, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. Take no thought for tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Christians live, as we sang in that hymn, day by day and with these passing moments, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for fear. Amen. Be content with such things as you have. Learn the mystery of it. Look at every situation in life as a divine lesson, a way for God to instruct us on how to be content and find everything we need in Christ. Paul's conclusion of this whole thing was verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You see there? It all comes back to Christ. May the Lord grant us much grace and mercy and instructing us in this divine mystery of contentment. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you now, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that Lord, that you used the man Paul as an example and others. Lord, since the fall of man, there has been an insatiable lust and desire for things that does not fulfill. The world is full of discontentment. People are not satisfied. They want more and more, only to find out that these things never satisfy. And then, Lord, when they find themselves facing death, everything in this life suddenly appears to be what it truly is, vain. They don't care about riches. They don't care about wealth. They don't care about possessions. They're facing death. And everything they strove all their life to achieve brings them no comfort in facing this last enemy. Lord, I pray that you would help us to set our affections on things above as your children and not on things of the earth. That we might learn from every situation in life more about Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. But we ask these things now in Christ's precious